as an Australian technology vendor in healthcare, how do you get credibility and traction in overseas markets against other well-established players? How different or similar are other markets like the UK to our home turf? Well, with me today, I'm joined by both Mark McConnell and Stephen Lynch from Citadel. And in this conversation, we're going to talk about their recent acquisition of Genie Solutions and where Citadel fits in the broader health tech landscape and how they're making a meaningful impact to patients' lives, not just in Australia, but in the UK as well. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Mark McConnell and Stephen Lynch from Citadel. Mark served as an officer in the Royal Australian Air Force for eight years and then moved to the corporate world in 1997 and he's worked across various executive roles in the fields of aviation, investment banking and technology. He's been a director of Citadel since it started in 2007 and was appointed to the CEO gig in 2019. Stephen is executive general manager for Global Health at Citadel. He's held executive roles in health and health technology for over 30 years across Australia and abroad on a range of topics like e-health reform, secure messaging, primary care, and lots more. G'day, gents. How are you going? Going well, Pete. Thanks. Yeah, great. Good to meet you. Great to have you on the show. And I feel like we should get cracking and get to know you guys a little bit more interesting organization and its involvement in healthcare. But firstly, I want to learn about, about yourselves. Mark, I might start with you. Tell us a bit more about you and your background. Yes. I started off in the Air Force, did that for eight years, which was fantastic. Do it all again. Met a lot of interesting people, including my business partner. And we then had our respective subsidiary businesses going once we left the military and we decided to merge those and form the origins of Citadel, which was a more of an intelligence and defense style business back in the day. And we started chipping away at health-related opportunities and really started going hard after some health opportunities in you know, mid to late 2000s. Anything from working on the New Royal Adelaide Hospital, where we have a 30-year services contract, to advising on telehealth infrastructure with Telstra in WA. And then we made some game-changing acquisitions for us, which really cemented our footprint into a couple of domains. So we don't pretend to be all things to all people. There's certain parts of that e-health jigsaw that we like to play. And if we go after something, we prefer to be number one or two in that space, or we're probably going to walk away from it. So we've built a reputation as being a high value player in the areas that we tend to prioritize. Yeah. Got it. Excellent. Stephen, what about yourself? Yeah, I'm a career health IT person. So I uh, started out back in 87 with um, IBA Health, as it was at that stage, as a, a very small formed company in hospital admin systems or host systems. Did that for a number of years. Uh, we broke into, or we did some good work in Victoria, in Australia, in man private hospital space. I opened the market for us into New Zealand and we won uh, six out of eight tenders over New Zealand over a uh, three-year period at the time, which is really good. About 93, I moved into Digital Equipment Corporation, more selling infrastructure for health. Uh, that was the target. Uh, spent seven years there doing a, a great job 
establishing a whole range of infrastructure for the hospitals across Victoria and Queensland and some WA ones as well. So it was a very exciting time. And at that point, IBA then had floated, so they invited me back in as the GM of sales. So I accepted that role, spent another six or seven years there doing that and expanded them into parts of Asia, yeah, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Singapore, Middle East, and we set up some channel partnerships in the UK as well. So did a lot of experience and uh, forwarded all of that and continued the expansion into New Zealand as well at the time. After that, I moved into a company called Global Health and they were very much in the primary care space. Mental health, a very simple uh, ERM for hospitals, etc. So yeah, we did all that work for a couple of years and I was finally invited into what was known as PGA Solutions, which is where uh, Mark and I met. And that was a pathology business that I had touched on during my career. Spent a few years there. Anyway, the business went up for sale. Citadel bought the business. And uh, with that, they then put me in charge of running that business for them, which I've been doing for the last seven years now as Citadel and yeah, 12 years under the PGA umbrella. But during that time, we've now grown that business from being pathology. We've added the charm oncology. We've added the anesthetic private practice for anesthetic billing and practice management. We've added eBlood from New South Wales, which was a, uh, a blood transfusion management system. And we've added the um, EQ Stats, which is a uh, incident risk management system that's used through quite a few private hospitals in Australia. And then, of course, the big one was our uh, expansion into the UK and, and wellbeing software. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, great background to have. And then to coming into to Citadel, look, Mark, you touched on it a little bit about how the business operates, but for those that aren't too close to it, it might be quite you know complex and broad. Tell us a bit more about Citadel and maybe a bit more about its kind of origin and then how it's kind of got more involved into health tech over time. Yeah, sure. So there's a bunch of ex-defence and ex-government people, really, that were at the heart of Citadel in its origins under different brands back then. We only came up with the Citadel brand in about 2006. But we did a lot of work, I guess, under the radar, secret and top secret government clients, which is really interesting work, but it doesn't really scale out. So we were looking for opportunities to change our business model. We then started to apply for more managed services style work across other federal and state government departments. And it was in the process of doing that that we got wind of a number of sort of PPP opportunities. And when we bid for that Adelaide Hospital project many years ago, we wanted to be at the head table. We didn't want to be at the bottom of a builder's supply chain. So we had to bond our way in, which was a courageous decision for our little company at the time. But we sat at the head table with you know, HP and Macquarie Bank and Hanson, Nook and Leighton's, et cetera, those types of brands with state government, which was a great lesson for us in risk management because as they turned the first sort of soil, they found contaminated land and it put the whole project on hold for a long time. And we were a little company with a lot of capital exposed in that bond. Long and the short of it is it's now a great case study for us. We deliver a lot of value to that particular client. So that was an interesting play into health for us, but more from a managed services side. So we'd been advising state governments above the line in relation to health policy by this time. And we could see, I guess, not uniquely, but we could see that um, there was a convergence of health and technology. We wanted to leverage our pedigree in managing trusted data sets. And we could see where health was starting to go and it was starting to rapidly digitize. So our first foray really in a big way was the purchase of PJA, which is where Stephen was working at the time. So we did that. That was our first acquisition as a listed company. So we've made about 15 acquisitions over the years. 
and we listed in 2014 and within a few months we purchased PJA. We're not indiscriminate in our approach to acquisitions, so it's not a series of bolt-ons. We fully integrate the companies that we buy and we take our time, we do it properly, and we average about one a year. So as Stephen mentioned, the big move for us was into the UK because we'd achieved good market share here, but we also wanted access to their IP and they wanted access to our IP. So it brings together four of the biggest ologies. And I've described hospitals before as a series of lazy ologies that don't talk to each other. And so by bringing these four ologies together, we've got a good palette of best of breed technologies. And so again, we don't pretend to be all things to everyone. We do these four things well, and we're seeing a lot of growth opportunities in this market. So health is by far and away the largest part of our business. It's also the fastest growing part of our business. We still have our legacy business, our managed services business, or what we might refer to as 1.0 is still there. But the growth opportunities that we're seeing in the market are very much around the health space. Mm, interesting. And we're going to touch on the UK in a little bit, but I'm keen to talk about recent acquisition being Genie in particular, and one that, you know, we've had James on the show a few times before, and Genie also a THT Plus member and all of that. So very familiar with the work they do. Tell us a bit more about the acquisition of Genie and what that enables for the business. Yeah, it's a very interesting addition to the portfolio now. It fits very well alongside the diagnostic solutions that we have. And if you think about the ecosystem, Jenny uh, is uh, very strong in the specialist market segment, and those specialists are a great consumers of pathology and diagnostic results. They're referrers into the hospitals. And so when you start to look at the patterns of care, we believe we can actually produce a better patient flow story with Jenny on our side. So we're looking at how do we do a better results integration, not that two different parties doing a um, arms distance minimal type interface, how do we do a richer interface because we actually have both ends of the interface that we can work with now. How do we solve problems like our charm product is oncology and most of the oncologists are using Genie in their rooms and they're using charmware at the hospital. So how do we start to unify the information flow so the oncologists when they're using both systems don't actually see two disparate systems and start to bring those two together. So how can they use, make orders from the Genie side, pass that through to charm, that the nurses will execute on for the patients and so on and so forth. So I think there's that whole opportunity for integration and workflow improvement between those. Noting also we have the anesthetics part of our portfolio, uh, anesthetics follow surgeons and getting them aligned to the Genie platform and getting a closer integration with them as well will only improve the efficiency of the anesthetists. And then we are into some discussions with some hospitals about how do we actually improve the integration between Genie and the hospitals for theater list management and all the theatre prep time that goes on in advance. Again, which tends to be a bit more arms distance apart historically. So all these things, I think, are untouched areas of workflow and efficiencies in the health system that we can actually start to exploit because we now have a very good footprint on in two domains and we can actually then look at the real value proposition to ourselves and, and to our customers in doing that for them. Yeah, and that's very aligned with... What James has been banging on about, I said that in a nice way, in terms of, you know, the partner platform and being able to connect with others, not being everything to everyone, but then also enabling like a seamless connection to everything. So that's exactly what you're saying there in terms of how it fits in with the broader yeah, portfolio. It is. It is. 
Well, it starts to integrate that sort of horizontal patient pathway, right? We're taking from patient, GP, specialist, clinician, hospital, brings all that together. And of course, the obvious value set that sits below all of that is the de-identified data sets. Yeah. Interesting. I want to dive into the UK as well and understand that a little bit more too and your involvement there. You touched on a bit like being a mutually beneficial thing, but Stephen, tell us a bit more about Citadel entering the UK market. Yeah, sure. Look, as a business back in 2017, when we started all this, pathology and oncology was our mainstay products at the time. The Australian market was moving very slowly. Your listeners will have the history that Queensland um, had issued a tender for a statewide pathology system and awarded that to another company at the time. And so I said, well, you know, there's very little new business prospects here in Australia. I'm going to lose a major account. I need to do something. So we looked around and said, the UK is where we need to go. They had a need and we had a product that filled that need. Now, history has obviously shown that Queensland's project was cancelled for reasons best known to them and our contract extends through to 2029. But the impetus was that gave us the motivation to get into the UK, actually analyse that, see that there is a real need for consolidation of pathology services because they're running basically every hospital around their own lab, uh, non-integrated. And what we were really good at for the last 20 years is running an enterprise multi-site laboratory type solution. So we're just a breath of fresh air to the UK. We've won um, two contracts there. We won a lighthouse lab, which was their specialist coronavirus labs that they set up during the pandemic. And we've won the um, whole country for Wales which we're currently in implementation mode for at the moment. And we're looking very good for some other projects over there as well at the moment. So it's a great opportunity for pathology to go over there. The wellbeing acquisition fits nicely into that because it gives us a whole bunch of 160-odd people on the ground over there. We're building and adding pathology domain experience to the team over there, but they've got the help desk, they've got the integration, the project management, all the other skills that you need around these types of projects to go there. The story's coming true and it's a fairy tale for us at the moment. It's just really, really going well. Amazing. And thinking about then from being Australian technology or Australian organisation looking to break into the UK, you know, you're winning contracts and you're getting some, you know, traction there. What do you kind of pin it down to in some of the ways you actually kind of make a bit of a name for yourself as a new entrant to a market that's already got some pretty large existing players? Yeah, it has. But again, if you look at the Australian market, a lot of the UK players are actually out here. So the UK market and the Australian market are actually not that different. Mm. Um, So the products fit well in the health system. To us, it's all the same players, be it iSoft or Deadless it is today, you know, Cerner, Epic, all the usual players are there and some of the niche players are here as well. So it's quite transferable between the two. It's a well over 90% common fit between the two domains. It's making sure there was a need and you have a... I suppose the challenge is getting a focus and knowing how you're going to go about solving the problems in the UK. It is interesting because when you go there, you think you know the answers of how you're going to be successful there. When you start talking to people, you think what they should be interested in is actually not what they're interested in and it's actually something else they're interested in. We've got that too. So what we sometimes take for granted actually is the crown jewel. And we've been doing some things for so long, we were taking it for granted. But when you got to start doing presentations, They're saying, that's what we really like about your product. And um, that's what we started to focus on now and and bring that in. And and really, it's all about us running at scale. The systems in the UK, particularly in pathology, have been very much one lab at a time. And they do interfaces through a system called MPEX over there to talk between labs. Over here, it's all about scale, very large scale, lab systems, multi-site. 
And that's what we've been doing for 20 years. And so it's second nature to us. And they really want that experience to help them get there fast in what they call the hub and spoke models. Yeah. To stay on that topic, and I'm just something I'm always really interested in about in the environment that you operate in where a lot of businesses done through procurement and tenders and everything where it's like, this is what we need and vendors, you know, here's the menu. You tell us how you're going to do it and how much it's going to cost. That can often feel like there's not a great room for innovation or those opportunities for things that you mentioned where it's like, yeah, this is your problem that you've, you know, listed, but what you really should be thinking about is X, Y, Z. How do you go about kind of incorporating, I guess, innovation or new thinking into a process and a structure that's quite rigid, like procurement in this space? Yeah, procurement is very rigid. They do a slightly different method in the UK. They do what they call a dialogue process. So you do put a tender in, but you actually put a tender in often two or three times. So you put your first tender in, they shortlist. You then have what they call dialogue or discussions with them over a number of meetings. And they'll actually feedback and say, here's how we scored your first tender. And you can see where you scored well and where you scored weak. The objective being how to continuously improve your response and resubmit after dialogue your tender. And then you do it a third and final time. And then you've got the strongest possible tender. It's not an agreement, but every vendor gets that chance is in that uh, shortlist process. So they actually then, for their perspective, they get three strong bids that are as close to what they actually want. And any of the misunderstanding of what's written and what they're actually trying to say, you sort that out during the dialogue phase. So, yeah, it's quite different. It's not the one shot, put it in, best price, best whatever happens in Australia. It's a very different process. It it is. It's a lot of work. But it's actually um, a great process because you actually get a chance to talk to people, which Australia, you're talking to committees. And these days we're talking to cameras. We don't even talk to people anymore. So it's a great experience. It does let you bring out in a dialogue, you can explore a bit further about, okay, we actually mean this, do you mean that or the other, and, and really clarify the process. And it gives a chance to talk about some of the innovation. So you ask for it like this, but we do things this way in these other areas and other customers don't bring the experience to the table. And they say, fine, write about that in your answer because it's very descriptive, the answers there. As long as you write about those things, they can pick up on those points in their assessment of your, of your response. I didn't know that. And I like that too, because, you know, that's often the advice that we talk about in the THT plus community for people who are responding to tenders here in Australia is, you know, yes, there's a process, but it's also good to have a relationship before it. Like if you haven't known that health system before the tender Mm. goes out, the chances of you actually really understanding the issue is probably pretty low. So have those conversations, but often it feels like you've got to kind of have those conversations on the side or behind the scenes, but something like this dialogue process sounds... um, Yeah, it it, it makes it a very level playing field is the way they see it over there. And we think it's a great process. It's certainly working for us. Moving on to then, say, thinking about technology generally, a lot of emerging technologies in healthcare at the moment. What do you see are the most exciting opportunities, Mark, when it comes to technology in healthcare? Well, notwithstanding what I said earlier about those four big pieces of the jigsaw where we dominate, there's some really interesting adjacencies and we're now spending a fair bit of time, effort and money to see where those adjacencies can add value to our core holdings. So AI, for instance, we run the largest marketplace in the NHS. We've got about 35 companies in there representing over 200 algorithms. That's a really interesting space. It's adding value already, particularly peak COVID. We saw a lot of involvement from AI in creating efficiencies due to the lack of radiologists on the ground. So I think 
if you can start to systemize more of the, you know, the fields that the radiologists have to submit in their reports, there's more time for them to spend with patients. And so it becomes a system that creates more value for the NHS. So there's demand for that now. We're seeing through the NHS or NHSX grants available for investment into these types of innovative areas. And given our footprint over there, it makes sense that we take a leadership position. So we'll be spending more R&D in and around the AI space. We've got a lot of capability in AI through our UK advisory board, some very prominent members in the UK health system advising us on some of those future trends. So AI is going to be important. We touch on areas like genomics. We're involved in a couple of joint ventures around the genomics space. So we think that's an interesting place to be playing. But the commercialization of the analytics, I think, is going to be a really interesting trend. Being able to monetize the value of data and provide meaningful reports to decision makers, be it in health policy areas, be it for big pharma, and really drill down to creating value for different stakeholders in that group. So we effectively now, with recent acquisitions, have one of the largest um, private health data lakes, and that all sits there in a de-identified basis. That you can drill down, for example, into you know gender and age group and ethnicity and postcode. I mean, that's very useful information to be able to do that and provide better treatment pathways for patients over time. Interesting. And, you know, there's a lot of good stuff to explore there when it comes to extracting value from data and utilizing technologies in a different way. But as we all know, in healthcare, if you're not thinking about the patient at every step of the journey, then, you know, something's kind of missing there. Stephen, how does Citadel go about making sure that patient needs are still always, you know, front and center in everything that you guys do? Yeah, at the end of the day, it is about the patient needs. And um, just using again our pathology uh, at Wales example, They've attempted that project previously with, with another vendor. Um, obviously, they've gone back to tender and re-awarded it to us. They are trying to get a, uh, if you consider pathology is like behind somewhere between 70 and 80% of clinical decisions are based on pathology results, depending on which research you read. So it's actually a vital part of the whole operation of the health system, which affects the patient. So being able to bring that together and show patients are not, static they move between gps primary care and secondary care and private hospitals and public hospitals even from public hospital they're quite mobile and the historical model over in the uk particularly was that they couldn't see any patient history outside their own four walls so if you've been through those domains and we're attempting to solve it here with my health record to an extent but in the uk they're regionalizing they're, they're aggregating the, these services and, and all the diagnostics radiology is doing exactly the same thing over there where you can actually start to see a much greater scope of the patient record and share that information between the various health systems. And the things that drive the NHS is about improvement on patient care and engagement with the patient as well. They're looking at how they improve that patient interaction and, and give patients access to their, their data and things as well over time. So we need to consider that front of mind always in what we're doing to say how do we deliver a better outcome for the patients on the way through. And so then looking at the future, looking forward and saying everything goes to plan, what does the future hold for, for Citadel? What do you say like the next even decade looks like? Mate, Stephen and, and Mark as well, get both your perspectives. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm very much focused on the continued growth of the product in the health domain. I think we're going to continue to expand out in the UK. I think we're going to be growing our Australian business. We'll grow our business out in Asia Pac, and then we're looking further afield. The technology, you know, what's of 
seen very clearly and demonstrated to ourselves in the last five years is that our products are actually world-class products. You know, we, we have stood the test of time. We have beat down large international competitors and defended our territory. We have moved into new territory and we want to continue to do that. And that's across all our product sets and we're seeing demand for that at the moment. So we think that the opportunity is very, very great for us to continue to take Australian health tech to the world. Nice one. Yeah, I often explain it like this, Pete, that we've got a bit of an accordion effect at the moment. You've got very strong regulatory pressure from one end. So things like GDPR, privacy, cyber, forcing health entities, particularly regulated health entities to digitize because it's only once it's digitized that you can protect it efficiently. At the other end of the accordion, you've got feature enhancements, you've got interoperability, you've got connectivity, et cetera. So what that's doing is squeezing that health landscape and forcing a lot of consolidation. So it will be bifurcated. There'll be winners and losers here over the next five to 10 years. We'll see increased consolidation in that health stack. We're seeing a lot of interesting um, consolidation there with the likes of Oracle buying Cerner. Interesting to see now what Microsoft and Google do as a result of that, but they've got all the smarts and the toolkits to extract value out of data, but it's the players like us that own the data. So that's an interesting thing to look at. So the next five, six years, you're going to see a significant amount of tenders and opportunity come to market. And then there's the role that private equity might play. Private equity, I've got loaded balance sheets at the moment. Health is a very interesting thematic. There's strong structural support for um, increasing value through health assets over the next five to 10 years. Things like aging population add to that as well. So um, there are worse places to be in a pandemic than global health tech, right? Yeah, exciting times and lots to look forward to ahead. I'll put the details for Citadel in the show notes of this episode and people can check out that on our website as well. I wish you guys all the best. Mark, Stephen, thank you so much for your time. Good on you. Thanks, Pete. Great. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen. <laughs>